0: Hey everybody, Mark here. Thanks so much for tuning in. It was a fun episode today answering the question, can I know God personally? We've been exploring God in our series called Explore God, where we've been answering a lot of big picture questions about faith, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is the conclusion of our series. So thank you so much for following along with us. Thank you so much for engaging with us, whether that be on social media, sending in your questions or texting us at our text number 650-600-0402. And I'd love to encourage you to continue to engage with us. If you have questions or thoughts about the podcast or about anything else that we're doing, I would love to hear You and I'd love to try to answer those for you. I'd also love to encourage you that if you can to get to a physical campus, physical location in our upcoming series as well that we're hinting at at the end of the podcast today, because it's going to be a really amazing series about the legacy that we leave behind. So, thanks again so much for tuning in. Thank you for your generosity and for those that are giving their time and their resources to make this show possible. We cannot do it without you. And let's go ahead and jump into the final midweek podcast about our Explore God series. Welcome, everybody, to the Menlo Midweek podcast. My name is Mark. My name is Jessica. Phil's with us today. Hey, everybody. And this is a bit of a fun episode and challenging episode for us because we're <laughs> fun actually and recording wow. this prior mm-hmm. to the message being given.
1: Yeah, that is correct. Yep. This is like a Menlo pre-midweek. Yeah. yeah. Um, Why are we doing
2: it, this? It, <laughs> what are you doing are we next doing this? week?
1: Oh, do you not know? I don't think That's so. That's amazing. <laughs> Loren
2: just sends out calendar invites and
1: asks yeah, him to shift stuff around. We just trust you. We don't know, we don't, uh, we we don't know about your calendar. Sure, so. sure. You could. It's totally fine. It mm-hmm. looks <laughs> crazy most of the time. Um, so we will be taking kind of our leadership team and some of our campus, uh, I think all of our campus pastors, to a conference called Exponential.
2: Oh yes! Uh, it's Aww. like a.
1: It's actually a Midwest organization out of Chicago, but they do these like local hub mini conferences, and one's happening at Three Crosses uh, in the East Bay. And oh, so cool. I think it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or something of next week. Uh, we'll all be over there, and um, you know, kind of when you normally think about conferences, it becomes really big, really involved, and really expensive to mm-hmm. go to them. And so, in general, when they're in your backyard, especially out here, I'm learning. They're in our backyard more rarely. <laughs> uh, I think it's you know helpful to try and give people a chance to check it out. So Sweet. That's where Definitely. we'll be. That's fun. Do
0: yeah. you have a favorite conference that you've been to? Ooh.
2: I didn't go to a ton. Uh, we used to go to the Orange Conferences as a student staff in out in, in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always difficult because it was very, like, South, like, hey, you have a church on every corner and your people are fairly committed. And we're like, no, (laughs) not not as much as this stuff. So that was always Mm -hmm. a little more difficult. But usually there was some really good stuff. And the best part about it was just the connection hanging out with uh, other staff and our friends um and getting like every night we'd you know have dinner together and um some of us would go early sometimes to hang out in tennessee and things like that so that mm-hmm. was always the best part of those trips yeah
0: so good. fun yeah good. did you ever go to one i went to a few um i think this was prior to Menlo and there's nothing like a good old Pentecostal conference. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I went to one at a church in Hawaii. That was really cool. Mm. Very challenging for me cuz I'm I can I can understand and there's parts of Pentecostal that I I like, but there's also parts that I don't and there's a bit of both at this, but the worship was insanely fun mm. and like man, so powerful and then but there're also people like getting slain in the spirit up yeah. on stage. So it's like I don't wow. know what to do with that. But yeah. <laughs> I still left feeling like God spoke to me. Hmm. So, yeah, it's it interesting. And there's just I don't know a lot to explore about God. Yeah.
2: Nice. Just there it had is. To sneak
0: it in there. And this is the last week of exploring God and asking questions about faith and what to think about yeah. God and the Bible.
2: It was a pretty light week. There wasn't. Yes. Any, there's nothing too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> nothing too major.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. Phil, what question will you be answering Mm -hmm. this weekend, but last weekend for those that are listening? If
1: you're listening, it's the message that I did answer, but as I'm recording, it's the message I haven't answered yet, but we'll answer this weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Totally great. (laughs) Normal. Um, Yeah. So, we're answering, we're finishing the series with the question, or we have finished the series answering the question, can I know God personally? And so, all the questions leading up to this, does my life have purpose, is there a God, is Jesus really God, is the Bible uh, reliable, are all hopefully kind of building credibility Mm -hmm. in the conversation to go, okay, so if the Bible is reliable and God is real and Jesus is actually God and the purpose of my life is to live in this relationship with him forever, then how do I do that? That's sort Mm. of the setup of the series. Um, And then hopefully for some people, God was using discussion groups that were happening at campuses Mm -hmm. along the way as well. And it's been really fun to hear reports of uh, God using like really practical, specific examples of conversations and groups where for a lot of people, this is maybe a conversation that exists in their head but they have just not been able to have it with other people. And uh, kudos to campuses for for making that space possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, you, you were strategic
0: in obviously choosing what messages, what questions we were asking leading up to this final question. Um, how and why did we
1: land at where we landed? Yeah, well, the series as constructed that the 165 churches are going through, mm-hmm. There's a couple more questions that they're covering mm-hmm. that we are not. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of included it in the question of um, does God exist? We sort of incorporated the question of pain and suffering, yeah. Bonded did that one. Yep. And then in the question of is Jesus God, I sort of incorporated the exclusivity question that was a different one. So, those were mm-hmm. two additional uh, weeks that we weren't covering because of some unique time constraints for us around Menlo 150. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think ultimately All of this stuff is really helpful, it's a great conversation, but uh, what makes it, I think, most helpful is that I would choose to shape my life with it, that I would say, you know, Jesus isn't just somebody I've learned about, but somebody I I live in relationship to, Um, and so, hopefully finishing the series and giving people a chance to, if you've ever been at like a Christian camp, right? This is kind of like the last night of camp, like everything (laughs) all week has kind of led up to this moment. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's likely a chance for them to reaffirm their decision to follow Jesus, to say, all right, you know what? I've kind of drifted over the last few years and, I do I do want to know God personally. I do want this to take a greater uh, priority in my life and heart. And for other people, um, it's probably, you know, it, it's probably the very first time that they're going to make this decision. And for some people, they may kind of go, this isn't for me, but th- they don't know it. God could have deposited some seeds in their heart and life that when things get difficult or when they face a setback, that God's going to bring all this back up and maybe they'll be ready to respond then. And I feel like that's kind of all mm-hmm. Uh, out of our hands. We're, we're called to be uh, faithful, God's the one that's fruitful. So, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important distinction too of like, and you've said this like almost every week, that there's nothing any of us humanly can do to like bring people to Christ. We can just help and show them the way, but in the end it's about letting the Spirit lead and I think that's just such a good reminder mm-hmm. that as you're praying for people, as you're praying for your friends or other people you see in the church, just remember that that's, you're doing the right thing by praying for them, and we just have to pray that the Spirit just nudges them enough to actually do something and take that step.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes we don't do anything because we have mistook our responsibility for God's responsibility. Right. And so, we're like, oh, yeah. you know, I don't like my, my friend to, I don't want to mess it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, cool, I get it, but... Uh, you're giving yourself too much credit and not enough at the same time. <laughs> God's got it, mm-hmm. um, and He's just asking you to take a step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, as we're entering into conversations around this, um, I'm I'm just thinking through the lens of conversations I've had in the past with people that are like, I'm a good person. Like I try not to hurt people. Mm-hmm. I don't
1: try to lie. Uh, isn't that enough? Mm-hmm. What, else could, what else would God want? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I do think there's a, I won't mention this in my message, but I do think that there is this underlying operating system for most of humanity um, where we have kind of like two scales that live in our head. Mm-hmm. And so, we just think, well, if my good can outweigh my bad, yeah, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. I just need to get in. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that works if God is like us. If God is a mix of good and bad, Right. then yeah, like, uh, I guess, you know, can you overlook the bad if there's more good? And, mm-hmm. and I would say like, there's nobody you know that's just like a person who's never done a good thing in their life. But the standard by which we uh, understand God through the scriptures is that God is perfect. Like he's, the word is holy, he's set apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so then the problem becomes, well, if God's holy and to be in a perfect and permanent relationship with God, we also need to be holy. Then the like good, good enough, more good than bad scale system doesn't work. You know, I mentioned Mm -hmm. a, a passage in my message that's not like a super fun one from Romans, right? None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Mm-hmm. We can go to the Old Testament, talks about all the good deeds of this, um, of this audience are like filthy rags. Like I've used the phrase before, um, good deeds are... Apart from a good relationship with God, it's an incompatible currency, and so we might go like, God, this is amazing. I've done all this amazing work for you. Here you go, and we stack, we give him a stack of money that represents the good deeds of our life, and he's like, Oh, I don't, I don't accept this currency. Mm-hmm. Like that's the paradigm, right? We go to Matthew seven. Jesus is describing um, people that would sit in judgment and said, Many will come to me and say. Uh, look at all these things I've accomplished in your name, and they'll kind of run through the list. Mm-hmm. And if being good was the standard, like, they're getting in. Because mm-hmm. the list is better than all of us. Like, the list is unreal. And the list of the religious leaders that Jesus was regularly interacting with, the, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the list of their good deeds was unreal. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says, depart from me. And he doesn't say, because you didn't do enough. Right? That, that's what I'm good enough would seem to indicate he doesn't even say depart from me you're not good enough Mm -hmm. he says depart from me i never knew you right so this question Mm -hmm. of knowing god personally sort of takes focus and we go oh this this is a really big deal this Mm -hmm. is really important that we understand relationship is the linchpin it's the fulcrum of our standing with god and Mm -hmm. as we kind of talk through in the message uh, that relationship is not something we can earn in any way, shape, or form. Hmm.
0: As you were thinking, or as you were talking, I just imagined myself calling someone a dirty rag and being able to grab that and like use that scripturally. So sure. thank you for yeah. that. Hey, <laughs> here to help, dude. Yeah, here to help. And then I was also thinking about how we could reframe um, what it might mean to be a quote unquote good person, and how that could, how good deeds could then be transferred to what it means to be in good relationship yeah. with God. And would you say that that is really what God is pursuing in us instead of us living, well, I guess it'd be both, but God live us living in a way that would represent God but in order to know what that is would be we'd have to have a relationship
1: mm-hmm. with him first. Right. For sure. Yeah, I okay. think I think order is really important, right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. If you think about the Old Testament law, hundreds of commandments, we, we think about 10, which are true, but mm-hmm. um, there's actually uh, hundreds of them. And then there was this thing called the Mishnah, which means the fence the Mishnah was a set of additional rules that the Jewish people, not not the Jewish people, the the Jewish leaders at the time had built. And the principle was, let's build a fence around the law so that you can never break the law. So, like, Hmm. uh, this was, Jesus was regularly critiquing the Mishnah, not the law. Hmm. So, when, uh, like, Hmm. for instance, Jesus got criticized for the way that he would navigate Sabbath, right? And they would go, hey, you can't do that on Sabbath. And most of the time, what they were citing was not the law, they were citing the Mishnah. And so Jesus is like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not I'm not violating the Lord. what are you guys talking about? And then he would drop in the bigger principle, right? Hey, Sabbath mm-hmm. was made by God for mm-hmm. us, not for us, not by us, for God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the idea that you saw as sort of a false choice in the Old Testament over and over again was that somehow by following the law, you can get to God. So, I'd perform and behave to a certain level in hopes that God might love me mm-hmm. uh, and then would accept me and I'd be in a relationship. Well, Paul talks about it, uh, especially in Galatians, and he talks about the fact that um, the law is actually like our tutor, and so if you're struggling in a subject and you go, I need somebody to help me, I don't get it, he's using that same concept in Greek, and he's saying the law is sort of sitting down with us and helping us understand our need for the gospel, and so every time we would look at the law and find that we were incapable of obeying it, it was like the tutor of the law saying, you can't do this on your own. And so you saw that throughout all of Jewish history. And then the religious leaders at the time that Jesus uh, was doing his earthly ministry, a big portion of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus doing the, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's basically going, oh, you think you're good enough. Let me just tell you how much you aren't good enough. Mm. And so you'd say, oh, you've heard that it was said you shouldn't uh, kill anyone. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, but I'll tell you if you have hate for them in your heart, you've already killed them, right? And Mm -hmm. so uh, I think that there's this regular opportunity for whether it's the law, as in the hundreds of laws from the Old Testament, or like I mentioned in my sermon, sort of the design we have. Like if you're not a Christian, you're not a person of faith at all, You still violate your own standards, like the things you're trying to do. Forget the Bible. You go, I want to be a good person. And you just define being a good person on your own. And you violate your own expectations. Mm -hmm. And even that can be a boundary that says, oh, there must be, if if I'm going to be made right, it's not going to be through my performance. And then on the other side, when we do come to know Jesus and sort of the John 15 principle that... As we abide in him, we walk this faith out. There's transformation, A, a, a sort of a summary of the book of James would be, um, we don't have to have works to earn faith, uh, but a working faith is a faith that works. Uh, and a faith that doesn't produce works is a worthless faith let let that spin around in your head. (laughs) But it is, it's about about order and sequence. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we're trying to obey certain laws or quote unquote, be a good person in hopes that God would love us, that is tyranny, it's exhausting. Mm. But if we can sit in the reality of our identity, that we are loved by God, no matter what, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, he loves you, he's crazy about you. Um, And that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've said, I'm submitting my life to the plan that God has, not the plan that I have. Now, out of that love, acceptance, and relationship, I begin to live out this kind of transformed vision of the different way that Jesus modeled. Yeah.
0: Man. What do you think it is about this conversation, about being able to believe that there is a God out there that thinks I'm worthy of dying for? And why? what is it about us in our cultural moment, in our, in our individualism, however you want to say that? That makes it so hard to say yes to that. Right. And I believe that. And I want that for myself. Yeah. Because in a lot of times, I mean, people will say, I'm good. I'm right. good with just
1: living by my own standards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I think that the, um, I think that like one of the deepest sort of cultural pressures that we feel is I would describe it as kind of the idol of self-sufficiency. Mm. And we don't believe it, by the way. We actually don't even, we're not consistent in the way we live this out in our culture, but we we want to communicate that we are. And I mm-hmm. think social media is such an easy example to go find it where mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure you've, you've seen the images where it's like, this is what we put on social media. And then it's like the zoom out or the picture that didn't make it to social media, like this is reality. Mm -hmm. And I think our lives are so, in our culture, are so consistent with that idea where it's like, my marriage is awesome. And then, you know, but nobody knows what we're fighting about or nobody Mm -hmm. knows that we've devolved into roommates, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, My kids are perfect, but nobody knows what I have to do at home, the way that I have to like just be awful with them to sort of get them to perform that way nobody knows that I'm so concerned with sort of this external appearance of we got it we're good and I think in the I think in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area uh, this is heavy this is really hard especially mm-hmm. if if you live in or um, come from a culture or a heritage where this feels like it's kind of hardwired into you I will have academic success I will have uh, career success I will get into that school I will go into that line of work my family will look like this. It, it really only just takes kind of one brick getting pulled out from that wall for the mm. whole thing to collapse mm. and so I think a lot of it is I want to try I, I, for me to admit that that's not true to a certain extent is admitting that my entire life is a lie and mm. that's a really big mm. idol to come down Yeah. and it's not usually one unless my life is falling apart it's not usually one that I'm like super pumped about revealing to other people Right. but this idea of the lie of self-sufficiency will eventually show itself true. Like eventually you will hit something you can't solve. A diagnosis, a layoff, um, a really difficult relational breakup. Like there will be something that reminds you, you are not built to do this on your own. And then without God, we cling to people, but we ask people to be God. turns out they can't be even the best people with the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think what we hope for is that Menlo and churches like us become places where you can depend on God, and then when you depend on people, it's not just you leaning on them, it's you leaning on them, and then all of you leaning on God together, and then when people let you down, you have a framework for that. You understand, Mm -hmm. like, oh, he's imperfect, she's imperfect. Like, together, we're trusting someone who is perfect, who can handle all of this, who can take the weight of my disappointment Mm -hmm. of my failed expectations, Um, and I think something that could become really hopeless can become really hopeful.
0: Yeah. And as as you are planning cl- to close out your message, I, I think there was an analogy that was made of a um, of a court case. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I thought that was really clever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that a Phil thing or is this something you've seen before? Oh, this is kind of a preacher line. I mean, it's I, I adapted it a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we often think about ourselves, if you think about a, if you think about the way you, Picture yourself in a courtroom. I think it says something about your personality where you place yourself, right? Hmm. Um, when I am Mike Ross. What, you, dude? Let's go. <laughs> Suits reference. Oh. Mike Ross is. I really sorry, want man. to be Harvey. But yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> Mike I Ross, dude. I get it. Man. But you have a photographic memory, so yeah. It's great. And you're married to a princess or something now? Yes. Meghan Markle is, plays <laughs> yeah. his wife. Yeah, you know, I do show. know
2: that. Yeah. 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 That
1: part's true. The photographic memory part's not yeah, so yeah. much. But, uh, <laughs> and the Missy sorry, is Missy. a princess
2: part well, is Missy's true. A yeah, Missy's a princess. That's I thought funny. you were saying
1: you were married to Ma- Meghan Markle, and I was like, oh, that no. feels like it'd be problematic. So. Yeah. No, I'm a rag. Got it. <laughs> got it. Got it. Uh, so.
0: I, I think, I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> just as cool. favorite it's just being left out. And I'm so sorry. My, uh, I'll try my, best my again.
2: lawyer thought I went immediately to liar, liar. Yeah, yeah, so sure. whatever that tells you me. I have watched
1: me. uh maybe every episode of like every variety of law and order that's ever been. Um, it was my, my binging show for a long time. I just had to have it in the background. And uh so, yeah, I, I always think about like being the lawyer, uh, and I think if I wasn't in ministry, a law was like one of those places. Mm. I, that's how my head works yeah. um, that I, I think would have been enjoyable. Um, but, but I think that there is something really important about understanding that in the grand scheme of eternity, um, even if you said, hey, I, I, I'm going to serve as the lawyer, you're serving as your own lawyer. You, you are the defendant. And so, there is a case being made against you, and the case being made against you is your own actions, (laughs) like it's your own life. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and it's not just your behavior, it's your motivations. And then it's not only your behavior and your motivations, Mm -hmm. it's the terminal illness of sin that you were given before you were born. Mm -hmm. And so, I sort of use this metaphor of... um, If you were in that case and you gave the best opening statement you possibly could and you had amazing uh, rebuttal questions for the prosecution's witness and then you had amazing character witnesses for your defense and then you just had this incredible, incredible uh, closing argument, you would kind of know two things. I think if you were honest, one, um, as good as you might feel like you're doing, you would observe the fact that you're going to lose. Hmm. Like, there's no doubt about it. You you would just, there's, the evidence is overwhelming. We think about cases that sometimes get overturned. Uh, We think about what's called circumstantial evidence, where it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you kind of argue it either way. There's no arguing it either way in the uh, landscape of eternity, and no one will try to. Nobody's gonna, it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's true. I did think that. I did do that. I did Mm -hmm. compromise there, like, period. And then I think the other thing you'd observe in that scenario is that God is the judge and he would be presiding over the case, but I think he you'd see him tearing up. You'd see him deeply emotional mm. over you and the state of your soul. And uh, I just kind of hypothesized, what would it look like if you're declared guilty by that judge, the gavel slams, and then at sentencing, uh, instead of you getting put in handcuffs, the judge takes off the robe, comes around the front, and allows the handcuffs to be put on him, And then he's taken out, he's put on death row, he waits, and then he's executed. And the standing that he had, you get. Hmm. And the judgment that you had, he took. That's the gospel. And so, uh, I think the idea of like, well, let me defend myself. There's no defending yourself. Mm -hmm. Let me fix it. There's no fixing it. Um, let me just admit that I'm wrong. Cool, great. But the consequences are still the consequences. And uh, I think if we can understand that, we get to see a, a more complete, honest depiction of God's character. Mm. He is perfectly just and mm. perfectly loving, and he's so loving that his love satisfied his own justice so that he could have a perfect and permanent relationship with you. Mm.
2: In your transcript, which is what Mark and I read to prepare for this, you use the word weeping that the judge was weeping. And I like had to take mm. a step back and like, Ooh, uh, <laughs> I got to process that one for a little bit. Cause that's, that's powerful to be able to, I mean, I think all of us have either seen a lawyer show or been yeah. in a courtroom or something. And so actually to visualize it that way, as someone who's a visual learner, just to be like, Oh, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm, that's, Great and hard.
1: Well, we th- the moment, I don't know about you guys, the moment that I think about a judge, I think about someone who is physically, like they're they are physically and sort of emotionally trying to stay detached. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying mm-hmm. to avoid a sense in which they are favoring one side or mm-hmm. another. They're trying to stay impartial. Mm-hmm. And so, the fact that God can perfectly judge when in reality he is not impartial towards you, he loves you, he loves you in spite of the fact uh, that we are so broken and so sinful that his judgment could be satisfied By him, honestly, having never done anything ever for us. And he would still be morally justified in doing that, right? There's a Mm -hmm. quote from Tim Keller. I'm not using this weekend, but I think it's really helpful. He says, to be loved, but not known is comforting, but superficial. Mm -hmm. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Think about that Mm -hmm. sentence. But to be fully known and truly loved. Well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. Humbles us out of our self righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So I think ultimately, you know, this mm. picture of a personal relationship with mm. God is not just that God sort of gets us out of hell and gets us into heaven. It includes that, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it is also that is the that is the means. The end is that we get to be in a perfect and permanent relationship with God that happens in heaven. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, it eventually happens in new heavens and new earth and a restored creation. But um, I think that that's a beautiful picture, hopefully, for people to think about, man, if I've written off this possibility that God could love me that way or that God would make a way for me, um, hopefully this weekend Mm -hmm. we'll show them different. It's beautiful. And I
0: think we are planning on ending the service with communion as well Mm -hmm. so let's explore that for a second what is communion why do we do it why does it matter what does it stand for
1: yeah so uh there is a practice that um all of jesus disciples would have had um lots of knowledge of that took Mm -hmm. place every year um and it was uh passover so the passover meal looked back to the jewish people as they were leaving egypt in captivity as slaves in egypt uh Pharaoh was not super pumped about them leaving and so that's an understatement yeah, and I was so
2: say. <laughs> and
1: so we see two things happen. One and, and I mean this is hard theologically to be honest. Um, one is we see um, uh, we see God send plague after plague after plague. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that we see do God do I mean we, you can explain this away if you want. it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart mm-hmm. yeah and so uh, you know, put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. Like, that's a, that's a hard thing, man. That's a weird, I got Mark, I got him, got him. Uh, but, I, but I think we, we kind of go like, wait a second, which God did this, yeah. you know? And so, um, you know, you, I, I think the way that I um, kind of harmonize that within my theological understanding of God is that um, Pharaoh was opposed to releasing God's people and God took that inward condition of Pharaoh and made it worse for his ends. And so he gets to the very end of these plagues and the final plague was taking the life of the firstborn. Mm. And and like, I don't have a, like, that's a a conversation to have with God, right? It's his prerogative. None of us deserve oxygen. Like that is the reality. Um, And he's trying to deliver his people. And if we look at what's taking place in the Middle East right now, it is not new that there is a spiritual reality in our world trying to destroy Israel. That is not a new problem. It's actually been happening since Israel has ever existed. Mm. And so, God, as a part of protecting his people, gave them a practice of uh, putting the blood of a lamb over the course of their, over the tops of their doors, and that meant that the angel of death would not visit their home, it protected their children. I mean, like this is wild, right? And so from that point on, uh, if you don't know the story, um, obviously now Pharaoh devastated, lets them go. Uh, They leave and they leave in mass, I mean, huge change. Israel grew massively, gained tremendous resources and knowledge and even technology for the day. Uh, They get to the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh has changed his mind and all the armies are going to kill Israel. And so as they get there and maybe take some of them back, God parts the Red Sea, lots of conversations about that uh, in scholarly world. They cross it and then they get to the other side. There's, uh, you know, people will say like, that wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea because of how it functions in Hebrew. And I say, it's a miracle either way because either (laughs) God drowned a bunch of people with ankle deep water or he parted a lot of water. But um, uh, they get to the other side and they begin a practice every year uh, called the Passover, which happens during the high holy days for the Jewish people. And they would remember God's provision for them. Like, if you think about this, it would have changed their entire national history. Like, their entire national identity would have been different. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, God had in view that he was using Israel to bring about Jesus, the Savior of the world, right? So, that's all sort of in play here. Jesus, he takes this description that I've probably taken too long to give you, and he says, uh, I'm going to re- I'm going to reinterpret that event, which would have been blasphemous if he wasn't the savior of the world, just so we're all on the same page, because he says to the disciples as he's passing it out on their Passover night, the night that he knew he would be betrayed. Um, and he says, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. And they're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? That is not what this means. And he's like, no, no trust me, trust me, trust me. And then he passes out the wine and he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. And they're like no, no no this is the blood of the spotless lamb that saved us in egypt what are you talking about mm-hmm. but like so many times what we see in uh jewish history jesus is the better insert thing and so jesus is the better lamb if you like have read the bible a bunch you know like jesus gets compared to the lamb a lot mm-hmm. like where did that come from passover that's mm-hmm. where it came from so what god was doing in this tragic um sort of object lesson in Egypt was preparing them and candidly showing us God's consistency throughout human history that just like he delivered his people through the spotless lamb in Egypt, he delivered you and me through the spotless lamb of Jesus. But the spotless lamb in Egypt delivered them temporarily. The spotless lamb of Jesus Mm. delivered us perfectly and permanently with God forever. Mm -hmm. And so he does that for his disciples, but they don't even get it because they all walk away. And I would say that the primary audience for that metaphor would be followers of Jesus that would come like us. And so now we remember that. Jesus says, do this. He models it. And then he says, keep Mm -hmm. doing this. He (laughs) says, do this in remembrance of me, which for us is no big deal. Like we don't have another thing that we're competing with. But Jesus is really saying to a group of people who have grown up Jewish, Mm -hmm. the experience, it would be like someone coming to you and saying, hey, Christmas, from now on, make Christmas about me. (laughs) Jesus is saying, hey, from now on, make Passover about me. Hmm. And so for Jewish people, this was paradigm shaking, right? And so every time we practice communion, it's for followers of Jesus to remember that Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb forever that secured us relationship that we could never secure on our own. And we do it together as this sort of shared act. Paul talks a lot about communion in the New Testament. And he says, we actually proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. Every time, we, mm. uh, every time we share communion, I talk about it sometimes that um, for non-Christians in the room, it's the time when every follower of Jesus that calls our church home, every time you take communion, you are actually, Paul says, preaching mm. to the unchurched people around mm. you that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is relevant to your life. Wow, so that's what communion is. I appreciate that yeah. answer. I yeah. think
0: it's a great reminder of the through story of the Bible how we can read about something, but it's just rooted in so much else. Right. And it just makes the entire story come alive or more vibrant or however you want to say right, that. Right.
1: Well, and it's messy, right? Like Absolutely. We, just like we talked about this summer with uh, the rest of the story, like if we want, I think I framed it this way this last weekend um, uh, with the Bible Reliable mm-hmm. one. Uh, if we want, like, the weak and welcoming God. Look, we can we can reshape the God of the Bible into that if you want. I mean, that God is powerless to help you, but mm. whatever, you know, but if you want an actual powerful God, at some point you have to decide, I used a Keller quote where he said, we uh, we look at the Bible and we say, what can't I accept? Yeah. Yep. But we really as Christians should look at the Bible and go, what can't God accept in me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a, mm-hmm. I don't like that question <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know? <Thank> you. Yeah, <laughs> Like yeah. a lot? <laughs> <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's true for all of us. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this is the last message in the series.
1: Where do we go from here? Uh, we're just going to start having parties every weekend. I think you know? so. Yeah, I think we did kinda, it. Kinda <laughs> kinda <laughs> crushed it. Just keep running it back, you know, just keep listening. Uh, so we will, we have a couple things coming up. One is in just a couple weeks, we have Menlo 150. So. Ooh. We will have um, a new series that starts this upcoming weekend, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, um, called In Your Lifetime. And in it, we're going to be in um, the book of 2 Timothy. We'll be in the first couple chapters over the next few weeks. And it really centers around legacy, which is obviously why we're doing it right now. We'll get to tell some stories of people at Menlo. Uh, If you missed it, marked it an interview. Mm Mm-hmm um with just a tremendous couple in our church and that's available on the podcast thread we'll have some more of those We'll celebrate in week two, Menlo 150 at Woodside High School. You can sign up at menlo.church slash menlo150. And then uh, we will continue for a couple more weeks after that as sort of our final series before we get into Advent when we begin uh, preparing to celebrate Christmas together. So hopefully what it does is it helps you understand we are all living a legacy, whether we think we are or not, Mm -hmm. and we will all be leaving a legacy, whether we think we are or not. The choice is what kind. And so, uh, hopefully this series will give us a look into this beautiful relationship between Paul and Timothy. If you read a lot of the New Testament, Paul is very didactic, like very specific. Um, he's passionate about churches, but he's he's kind of cracking the whip a lot of times. Second Timothy is the most personal book uh, that... Paul has ever written. He's writing it to his protege, Timothy, who is a young pastor. He's the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Many believe that this is among Paul's final writings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you just see a much more sort of personal heart from Paul to Timothy. And I think in turn, sort of the spirit's heart for you and me uh, to think about and walk with God.
0: Amazing.
2: Before we go, I have mm-hmm. a series pitch. I'm
1: ready. <laughs> Whoa. Mm-hmm.
2: It's the rest brought of the story. Brought to you story. by the way.
1: Yeah, brought to you by the way from the series Picture of the Rest of the Story. with Jessica Hayley. It's the
2: rest of the story meets Summer at the Movies. Mm-hmm. But we take
0: the rest of the movies,
2: Bible stories uh-huh. that were turned into movies. Because oh, sure. the whole time you're talking about oh. the Exodus stuff, I'm the Prince of Egypt is playing sure. in my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we go through that movie mm-hmm. and we talk about how it works, it yep. doesn't summer work. Summer
1: at the Bible
0: Movies.
2: Yes, there it is.
1: Nice.
2: There's the Exodus one with uh, Christian Bale plays Moses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's the old Charlton Heston. Yeah, yeah. There's maybe it's just uh, Moses
1: movies. <laughs> Cheryl, no, not Cheryl Crow. <laughs> Russell Crow. <laughs> Noah didn't he Russell do an, Crow. Think, didn't he do a Noah? Yeah, one? he was
2: Noah. We could also do uh, uh, Bruce, Bruce Almighty. Almighty? Yes. Yeah, nice. that's a this good one. And Evan Almighty. Yeah. Oh,
1: if you're yeah. listening yeah. to this and you have some other movies that we should think about, yeah, send them in. Texas. We will be close to starting to forecast out series for 2022 Four mm-hmm. and 2025 so uh, yeah seriously send in your ideas of uh, genuinely what maybe it's movies but maybe you're just like I'd love to hear you guys cover insert topic mm-hmm. um, we're not going to be out of ideas but we'd love to include yours yeah well thanks Phil of uh, course we'll be praying for you for this weekend and
0: Thank you. praying for your week as well as we're heading into Mellow 150 and as you are all listening to this pray for our leadership team as they are off at a conference on the East Bay in the East Bay yeah Cool. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. See you everybody. Bye. Bye.